Watson. Well, good morning again, and welcome to Mount Calvary Church. My name is Matt Watson, and I'm the lead pastor. Uh, it's, it's raining again, so that's great. We're thankful for a holiday weekend for Labor Day. Hope you've had a nice weekend. We've had a, a great weekend, my family. My little brother, Tucker, and his wife came to visit from North Carolina, and so we got to show them the town, the great town, and all that, that's around us here. We went to Cherry Crest. That's a little crazy. They brought their three little kids, plus our three little kids, plus our two dogs. It's been a really awesome, crazy weekend with them. They'd love to meet all of you, I'm sure, so come say hello to them after the service. Uh, but we've had a great weekend, and hopefully you've as well with Labor Day. Now, this is kind of an in-between week. We're starting our fall series on discipleship next week and uh, finished our series on the minor prophets. And so this today, you know, I was thinking about Labor Day, thinking about work, thinking about rest. And the passage that came to my mind and to my heart is this passage on anxiety. What keeps us from resting? And what keeps us from being joyful and being content and being grateful. It's our anxiety. This is a passage that's significant to me. Uh, when I was in high school, one of the first passages I decided to memorize was Luke 12, 22 through uh, 31, and uh, that's going to be our passage this morning. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, if you don't have a Bible, uh, it'll be on the screen. So if you could turn to Luke 12, 22. <clears throat> And he, Jesus, said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God, if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that you come and you meet us in our anxiety. And all of us struggle and are discouraged and we worry and we have fears to some extent, all of us. And so God, I pray that this Labor Day weekend, as we think through your word and we look at what Jesus says to the disciples, God, that we would hear it for ourselves today. God, we want to follow you. We want to know you. We want to live the life that you've called us to live. And so, God, I pray that you would help us in our own anxieties, in our own worries. Uh, 
Holy Spirit, convict us, encourage us and lead us, teach us and direct us that we may live for your glory. It's in the Son's name that we pray, amen. Anxiety. Uh, as I was thinking about anxiety, I mean, this is, just like I prayed, this is a topic that touches, touches us all. And you go through this passage here in Luke 12, Jesus is saying, don't be anxious. But I think it's more than Jesus just saying, don't be anxious. What are we supposed to be doing instead? It's not that we're just supposed to live a life that is free of anxiety, but what is it that we are supposed to live like in replacement of this anxiety? And pretty clearly, the story of Scripture tells us it's not that we are to just, just to live a life of freedom from anxiety, but we are to live a life of joy and gladness for who God is for us. And so the message this morning isn't just a message of how to stop doing something, but it's a message of how to be the person that God created you to be, living in joy and gladness for who God is. And so why would we be joyful? And why would we be glad? Well, I think the passage hints and points to some of the reasons that we have to be joy, to have joy and to be glad. The, the name that Jesus uses for God twice near the end is the name Father. Why do we have joy? Why can we have joy and why can we have gladness? Why can we celebrate? Because we have a Father. Now, I don't know what kind of image that brings to your mind as you think about your Father, okay? Because we all can connect to that picture of God. He is our Father. But the, the intent is this is a positive image of the Father. That fathers care for their kids, provide for their kids, love their kids, teach their kids. Tucker and I had a great father growing up. He loved us. He coached for us basketball and soccer. He uh, taught us hard lessons. He disciplined us, Tucker more than me. He but we had a good father, and, and our father is a picture of the father that we have in heaven. And so why are we to be joyful and to be glad and not be anxious? Because God is our father. And we were created by him to know him. And as we know him, it brings us joy. You, you were created and made to know God as your father. Like there's a piece of you that longs to know him as your father. I remember in uh, Virginia, when I was in student ministry, there was one boy who came to me his senior year of high school. And this young man had everything going for him. He was adopted. His brothers and sisters were adopted. It's his senior year. He was accepted into a really great college. Um, but he had everything in life going really well for him. Uh, he played baseball. He was a swimmer. Uh, he led worship for us on Wednesday nights. Um, and then one day, he got a letter, and it was a letter from his birth dad. And he learned that his birth dad was in prison, was three hours away, and that he wanted to meet him. And where this life was going so well, everything was good, all of a sudden, I mean, his life turned upside down. He wasn't sure what to do, but he knew one thing, 
I want to meet my birth dad. Even though everything was great, there was nothing missing in his life. The moment he gets this letter, all these questions about what does he look like and what happened and why, and I want to know him. And all of a sudden, this deep inside of him desire, I want to know who my, my birth dad is. And for all of us, God is our father. He has made us, and inside of us, there's this desire that we have, all of us, to know him because he made us like him. But we can have joy in that he's our father because he loves us like a father, and he cares for us like a father. It's the story of the prodigal son just thinking about why can we be joyful and not anxious because we have a father like the story in the prodigal son where the, the, the son one day wakes up and says, I'm tired of all of this. I'm tired of this life with my dad and my brother, this life here on the farm, and I'm ready to, to start my own life. And so he runs away to the city and he lives it up until he squanders and loses everything. And what's the picture of the father? The picture of the father in this story is not just a dad, but it's the picture of a rescuer, of one who gives mercy. And so when the son comes back, and you know the story, what does the father do? The father embraces the son. And so the question, the question for us, why are we to be joyful and not anxious? We have a father like that kind of father. He not just loves us. He doesn't just direct us. He didn't just make us, though he did those things, but he rescued us. He rescued us in our sin and in our choices, in running away from the home that he gave us. And so we have a rescuer. And what was the end of that story with the prodigal son? What was, what was the reaction of the son in recognition that he doesn't just have a father, but he has a rescuer? Luke 15 describes this, this emotion. Verse 23, the father says, let us eat and celebrate. Let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and he's now found. And they began to celebrate. And then in verse 32, it says, and I like this phrase, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. It, it, was, it fit. My son was good as dead in more ways than one. And now he's alive. He's alive in so many ways. Emotionally, he would have been, this son would have been broken physically from eating the slop. He would have been hurting spiritually. He was far from God. Now we celebrate and we're glad and we have joy because the father and the rescuer has come and he has saved my son. And this is the picture of our father. He sent Jesus to rescue us, to free us, and to bring us home where we can know who we were always meant to be. And so all through Scripture, this theme of be joyful, celebrate, and be glad in the Psalms. Philippians 4, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. And so this is a, a pretty consistent theme, and I would say it like the father in the story the prodigal son said. It, it, is, it is fitting it fits really well for you and for me to be joyful because of who we are in Jesus and because of who the Father is. It fits that we should have this kind of joy. But here's the question. Why isn't this happening? 
Like that's the introduction here. Before we get to do not worry, we, we, we are called to be joyful. But why isn't it happening? Why don't we live with this joy and gladness that supersedes all the stresses of life? It's because we have so much pressure. We're overwhelmed by life. I mean, just think of the stressors in your life. Think of all the things that cause you anxiety and worried that just steal that joy. I mean, think back when you were in high school or high schoolers. Think about your life. Think about the anxiety of being in high school, the social pressures, the pressures to to fit in, to have friends, to be liked, to be on the team, the pressure to, to try out for these sports teams or these plays or and the pressure you put on yourself, and the, again, I'll go, the social pressure, again. And then you start to look for college, and you've got to pick the right college, and you've got to visit the college, and you've got to make the, the scores to get into that college. And then you've got to start working. And so all these pressures, and you're in high school, and then you get to college, and we remember the pressures of college. You, you're starting over. For years, the, 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 our seniors who would go to college struggled tremendously because you're going from your best life with high school to now you start all over and you know nobody. So the social pressure is still there in college. What are you going to major? What are you going to do with your life? How are you going to fit in? And you've got to work and you've got to find an internship. And you're single. That's not good. You're single. What are you going to do about that? Then you start to date. And the pressure is with dating. You meet their family. Isn't that fun? You make those, that first meeting. But then you start to think, what does life look like for us? And how do we, you know, what's next for us? And you start talking about engagement and marriage. And you get married. And you're figuring it out. What is like, think of the, the stress and the anxiety with thinking through, like, marriage, and what does this look like? You, you know, it's not easy. It's not easy. And for us, I remember with Ashley and I, we got married, and it was a, we thought it was a great idea to move across the country and to start a new life in Texas, and it was, it was challenging. It was hard. It was stressful. Now we're looking for jobs we're looking for community. We're looking for friendship in a new way with other couples and not just guys and girls individually. I'm having to think about insurance and buying a car and loans and Ashley's got a job and bosses and reviews and you're doing all, like this new stress and you get married and it's a great thing, but even this stress just kind of follows you through your life. Always different and, it, and you're, you're figuring out the stress of being a young married couple because life is stress-free enough, you decide it's a really good idea to have kids, multiple kids. That's a great idea because they're not stressful. And though we love our kids, but that's a new season. I remember, I mean, I I was clueless. I'm still clueless, but I was really clueless on what this entailed. Doctors and appointments and diapers and and medicine and feeding and milk and waking up in the night and 
swaddling. What is a swaddle? Like, how do you do this? And the stress, and then your baby just cries, continues to cry, and, and there's stress. And then they start to grow up, okay, and they start to get, they get sick. They get, I remember hand, foot, mouth disease. What is that? They swallow a marble. You get a puppy. Then you have another kid. That, like, this is a real thing. And then you're thinking, where do I send them to school? That was a big one, public school, private school. They're getting older, sports and transportation. I don't mean to go on and on and on, but this, it feels good. <laughs> but we have this stress and anxiety all around us. And I, that's my phase of life right now with young kids. But I, I can tell you, it doesn't stop this way. Like, it, f- stress... Worry and anxiety will follow you around whatever stage of life you're at. I mean, just turn on the news. All families. I mean, think of the stress within your family this last two years, year and a half. Your your Uncle Jim is texting the family thread about COVID and vaccines and masks and trying to navigate what is this, what is this, the stress of families right now even, the safest place, right? Right? And then it's like, it's time for Thanksgiving. Oh, this will work out really well. And so we have stress around us, though we're called to be joyful and called to be glad. The question for us is, what does Jesus teach us? What does Jesus teach us? Because it's a reality. How does he help us think through this thing that's going to always follow us around? And so this is what Luke 12 is. He's talking to the disciples. They have stress that we don't even, we can't even fathom. He's about to die, and that's going to change their life completely. They don't have clothes because they're following Jesus around. And they're about to be fugitives. And so Jesus says, let me teach you about worry and anxiety. And he says in verse 22, therefore, he said to his disciples, I tell you, Do not be anxious about your life. Now, I'm not a counselor. We have counselors, several counselors in here this morning in the last service part of our church. If you were to go to a counselor this week and say, I'm anxious, can you please help me? And if you were to look at them, I'll tell you what they would not do. They would not look at you. They would not open their Bibles to Luke 12, 22 and say, this is easy. Let me just help you here. Don't be anxious. Like, what are you doing? Like, just stop. Like, stop being anxious. Okay, it's, it's interesting that Jesus three times commands anxiety away. And so we've got to stop. Okay, well, what is he actually doing? Because we know it doesn't work like that, that we just command these, these emotions to go away. When I'm with, working with my daughter or my sons or my wife or my friends, like, you just don't say, stop, just stop being sad. Why are you sad? Stop. Just be happy. Like, you're hungry. Stop. Just stop doing that. Like, like that's not how it works with emotions. And so the question for us is then, what, what is Jesus, what is he doing by saying, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious? Well, he's not just commanding it away. In Luke 12, he's giving us the instructions behind what do we do with it? What is our anxiety? And he's very carefully gently guiding us to help think through our anxiety. And so he's telling us, let me first tell you what what is anxiety. Look at verse 25 and 26. 
Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? What's the answer? Nobody can do that. We're anxious because we want power and we want control. That's what Jesus, like, you're in your anxiety, you're trying to create and add time to a situation that you can't do it. And at the heart of it, at the core of it, this is, this is anxiety. We want control. We want to control our kids. We want to control our family and our work, our future, and where we're going. And what Jesus is saying is, you can't add anything to your life. It's like when you go to the doctor and the doctor gives you a bad diagnosis and the, the term that people will use is the, the room is spinning, spinning out of control. If you've heard that, I mean, the picture is, and what people will often say is, I feel like I've lost control. I have no control. And what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, you're right. You have no control or power. And this anxiety is friction. When your desire to control rubs up against Jesus saying, it's not your job. Look at Matthew 6. I'll show you Matthew 6, 34. This is the parallel passage in Matthew on, on not worrying. And he said, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious about itself. He's saying, your job is not to be anxious. Your, your job is not to worry about tomorrow. I mean, think of the anxiety you would have if I told you you had to do my job for this week. Anybody? Anybody. Just think about the anxiety of having to do anybody's job this week. Like if for, for, I've got to write some emails this week, I've got to have some conversations, I've got to write a sermon. Like how would you feel getting to come up here on Sunday morning? I know a lot of very gifted people that the thought of coming up here is like, I will die. I will die. I will die. I will pass out and die. And it's not your job to do this. The thought, my, me thinking about being a mechanic or an engineer, yeah, that's funny. You know it's funny. I will break something significant quickly. And it's stressful to me. But that's not my job. That's, this is my job. I and mean, am I anxious or no? I, I mean, I'm, I'm nervous, but this is what God's gifted and called me to do. And so there's this confidence. And so what Jesus is saying, don't worry about tomorrow. Like that's not your job. Tomorrow isn't your job. I've got tomorrow. You focus on today. You focus on this moment right now. And so what Jesus is doing, he's really uncovering what anxiety is. We want control and we want power and we want to do something that we weren't meant to do. And all those three things combined, when, when, when that reality rides up against what we want, we're anxious. And so Jesus calls it out like it is. And then he says, well, now let me help you think through how do we deal with this reality when, when you start to feel anxious for these for these reasons. And so he lays out here are three things that I think you should do that will help you as you think this through. The first thing he says is consider the ravens. Verse 24, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? 
And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? He's saying, when you are anxious because of these reasons, let me help you not be anxious and not worry and not fear. And I love this first command. He tells you to stop and think. Let's consider. Now, your version may say see. Uh, I, don't, I don't like that translation. The word is really think, ponder, stew over, reflect on, consider the ravens. He's saying use your mind to think about truth. Don't let your heart take you there. Our heart will take us there. Our emotions will take us there. And what Jesus is saying, you have to think. You have to talk to your heart. You have to tell your heart what is going on and what is truth. You've got to tell your heart what God's word tells us about this world and what's coming ahead. And we have to, we have to do the hard work of thinking. Thinking is a piece of faith. Right? That's what faith is. Faith is believing truth, thinking truth. And so Jesus says, I need you not to go anywhere, not to go see anyone, not to do anything. I need you to learn how to consider, to think. What are they thinking about? They're thinking about the ravens. Now, the ravens are scrappy, junkyard, insignificant birds. They weren't highly valued. Okay, but what's the principle of thinking that Jesus is teaching us? Okay, he says, he's essentially saying, look at, the, look at these birds. These birds are completely incapable of doing anything. They can't build, they can't save, they can't clothe themselves, they can't do anything. Yet, God providentially, sovereignly cares for the birds. He is provident over the birds. He is sovereign in his control and in his caring nature over the birds. And what he is saying is, think about this truth. God, I, your father sovereignly gives the birds exactly what they need, even though they do nothing to help with this. And if he is sovereign to provide for the birds, if he is if he has providence over the birds, then he will do the same for you. And, and you know, I, I sometimes shy away from these types of points because we, we just pound these points all the time. But, but this is so important with our anxiety, and it's what Jesus is teaching us to think about now. Are you anxious? Think about the providence and sovereignty of God. And I just was thinking about that this week. Like if we really believed in God's sovereignty, that God is in complete control of everything in the past and everything in the future, every decision for us and against us, that he is provident over these things. If we really believed God's providence, could we be anxious at all? Because again, that's what anxiousness is. And so we've got to learn to pause and to think and to remind ourselves and to mentally surround ourselves with the, the truth that God is sovereign. In this moment, he is sovereign. 
I was listening to a, a pastor talk about anxiety. His name, this pastor's name is Jeff Struker. So he was sharing this story about his own life. Before he was a chaplain and a pastor, Jeff uh, was in the military. He was a ranger. And he fought in a really famous battle, the Battle of Mogadishu in Somalia in 1993. The famous movie, Black Hawk Down, follows this this story. But as he was preaching and talking about this story, he was talking about his this particular battle. And so he was leading his his troops into Somalia. He was given the go-ahead. They were out to capture two high-profile targets, and, and they knew exactly where they were. They were told, it is go time. They got in their Humvees. They go to the building where they are, and right before he, they set out on this mission to capture these two men, he gets a call um, over his walkie-talkie, and this is what the, his commander says. He says, stop. I need you to pause. He says, there's another division that was going to be coming out of the helicopters, coming down to assist you, and one of the men missed the rope coming down the helicopter, and he fell 60 feet to the ground. And he said, Jeff, I need you to take your Humvee, and I need you to go get this man. Tell your people that this is what you're going to do. And so Jeff, he says, I do it. I pause. I say, I'll be right back. He begins to make his way to where this fallen soldier was, very, very seriously injured. He finds him. He puts him on a stretcher. He puts him in his Humvee, and he very carefully begins to navigate back, back to his base. And he says, it's, it's, he said, in Somalia, it was very different than some other areas he worked in. He said, it's very dangerous. The people were not happy. And he said, he took a right turn. They were going 15 miles an hour, three Humvees behind him. And he said, he took this right turn, and all of a sudden, all these, um, these people came out against them. Guns, I, I, the way he describes it, I'm going to do a bad job, but it was extremely dangerous, extremely overwhelming, the amount of gunfire. Um, and he said he, they had to stop their car because they were completely surrounded. And he said to himself, I'm going to die. And they tried to fight their way through. They, got, they had to reach out of their Humvees. One of the guys next to him got out. They were trying to get through this to get back to the base. And one of his other soldiers was shot and killed. He pull, he's able to pull him back into the Humvee. And lots of details to this story. But they miraculously get back to their base. Okay, miraculously. And he goes on with these details. I, I'd love for you to listen to this. It's so powerful. But he gets there, and so he, the, the medics, he said, it's chaos. The medics come, and they get the, the soldier who had fallen. It was in critical condition. They're pulling out the body bag for the soldier who had died. And, and he said, I'm overwhelmed with, with sadness, but joy that I'm a, alive. And he said, about the moment that I started to feel relief that I was alive and my other soldiers were alive as well, that very moment, he said, my platoon leader came up to me. And he said, Jeff, that helicopter has gone down. And I need you to go get those people. So the, the feeling of joy, of, of relief is probably the right word, relief, that he's alive, the sadness of his situation. But now the reality that he's got to go back. And then another one of his 
another one of his leaders comes up to him and says, Jeff, before you go back, you should probably clean out your Humvee. Blood everywhere. Because if you go back and you rescue these men, and they, they have to be pulled into this Humvee with all this blood and all these gunshots, they are going to be traumatized. And so you, you've got a little bit of time. I need you to clean out your Humvee, and I need you to go back into that city. And I'm going to let him, Jeff, share the rest of what happens next. So I sent all the rest of my guys to go get some more fuel, go get some more ammunition. We're getting ready to go back out into the city streets. And I pulled this one Humvee off to the side. Now, we didn't have running water. I didn't have latex gloves. I just grabbed sponges and buckets and brushes and started to clean the blood off of the back of this Humvee. And I am absolutely sure I'm going to die in the next few moments. Everything inside of me was saying, this is suicide. If I drive back through what we just went through, I'm going to get every one of my men killed today. The only person that's been killed at this point from our task force is the guy sitting right behind me. And now there's going to be 10 more body bags to fill if we drive back out into those city streets. And I'm thinking about my family. My wife and I have been married for almost three years at this point. We've been trying to have a baby. And I get a letter in the mail in Somalia saying that she's pregnant with our first child. And I'm thinking, I'm never going to see my wife again. My son or daughter will grow up and never know who their daddy is. And everything inside of me is saying, Jeff, don't do this. Don't go out there. But here's the thing. If you know anything about special operators, if you know anything about army rangers, you know this. They swear their lives to one another. They do it almost every day, and they do it in the form of the ranger creed. And one of the things that the ranger creed says is that I will never leave a fallen comrade to fall into the hands of the enemy. And I knew I don't have a choice. I have to get on those Humvees and go back out there. And if I do, I'm going to die. And all of those thoughts from when I was 13 years old come flooding back, thinking to myself, I know I'm going to die tonight. At the back of this Humvee, with blood on my hands, I didn't stop what I was doing, didn't close my eyes, didn't even bow my knees. I just simply started to pray, and it was something like this. God, I'm in big trouble, and I think I'm going to die tonight, and I need your help. And at that moment, the Lord started to remind me something. I'm reading the Bible every day while I'm in Somalia, and a passage that I had been reading in the Bible just a few days before this is the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. You guys know this story? Because the night before Jesus goes to the cross, he knows exactly what he's about to go through. And he goes to be alone in the garden, and he starts to pour out his heart. And his prayer is basically, God, I don't want to do this. Father, if there is any way possible, let this cup pass from me. And I'm cleaning the back of this Humvee up. I'm thinking, God, if there's any way possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to go back out there. And then I remember, it was almost like it was yesterday, the words that Jesus says next, and it was like he was whispering them right into my ears. He said, not my will, but yours be done. And then the sinless son of God got up and he walked into the hands of the enemy and freely 
graciously gave his life up so that you tonight could settle eternity once and for all. Guys, I'm at the back of this Humvee, and I prayed, God, I don't want to go back out into these city streets, but not my will, your will be done. Whatever happens next, I totally trust it in your hands. And it was like a light bulb came on. I kind of feel stupid even saying this to you, but that's when the Lord reminded me of a couple of things that I have known since I was 13 years old. He reminded me, Jeff, your life is in my hands. It's always been in my hands. I don't know why you think you can do anything to keep yourself alive tonight, why you think anything is going to happen to you that's not under my control. Jeff, I've got it all in my control. It was like a light came on. Something switched inside of me. I can't even describe it for you if I tried. But for the next 18 hours, I rolled in and out of those city streets on the same Humvees all night long, multiple times, taking enemy gunfire and getting shot at until 9 o'clock the next morning and felt not one bit of fear because I know where I'm going to spend eternity. I mean, what an example of not listening to your heart. What's your heart going to say? Your heart's going to tell you. Look at all that you're losing. Look at the situation. Look at where you are. Your, your wife and, and your, your future child. And what does he do? He stops and he prays and he considers the raven. God, you command my destiny and no one else. And what is Jesus doing? He is teaching us to know that, to know it, to let that just, just to come over you. God commands tomorrow and you do not. But then he also tells the disciples in verse 27 and 28 to consider the lilies. Look at verse 27. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is here, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? He's saying, consider the lilies. This is a different principle than the ravens. The ravens was about God's providence to care for them. The lilies is about God's magnificent and gracious, loving care for the grass. He he closed the grass with beautiful flowers. The grass is gone tomorrow. Yet God says, magnificently and beautifully, I will care for you. And it's the image that comes just in a few verses. In verse 30, he says, I'm your father. What's the principle of the lilies? It's not that God is only providential and in control. It's that he loves you as your father. He's, I clothe you, beautifully clothe you, magnificently clothe you like the grass. Better than Solomon. And I will magnificently clothe you too because I am your father and I love you. And Jesus is saying in the same way that you think constantly about my providence. I want you to think and surround yourself and guard yourself with my love for you. Learn to think on the wonderful love of God for you. 
Because what happens in our mind is we get anxious and we get worried and we, we think God doesn't know what he's doing. But what we're t- being taught here is think about the love of the Father that he has for you in Jesus. If he sent his treasured one and only son for you out of his love for you, listen, I promise you, he can handle your upcoming week. He can. He sent his son for you. Don't downplay or minimize that. If he did that, he will take care of the rest. Consider the raven. God is sovereign. Consider the lily. God loves you as your father. But then he closes with a little bit of a different direction. Verse 31, the the third command, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. This is different. First two, consider, that's up in here. Whatever's going on up here in your mind, whatever's up there, like consider, don't go anywhere. Don't talk to anyone. Don't seek anyone out. Like first thing is just stop and think. Think, consider. But now he's saying seek his kingdom. This is active. Seek the kingdom. And I thought, you know, that's a, this is a somewhat famous verse. Seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. I was like, well, what does that mean? Seek the kingdom. Like, what does that actually mean? Lots of things, but I'll give you just one. It means to seek the king of the kingdom. Seek the king of the kingdom. Go after the king of the kingdom. Don't wait for God to come and to fix everything. You run to God, the king himself. How do we seek the king of the kingdom? One really obvious way that we can do this is through prayer. What does Philippians 4, 6 say about anxiety? Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your requests be made known to God with thanksgiving. How do we seek the kingdom? We're, we're anxious. We're thinking correctly. Now we're seeking. We're running. We're going after. And how are we running? We're running to the throne and to the king, and we're running to him in prayer. Now, you may think, well, prayer, I mean, really, Matt, just pray? That's what someone has said to me before. Just pray your anxiety away. Like, well, what are you doing about your anxiety? I tell you what I see people do with their anxiety. They overeat. They exercise. They bury, them, bury anxiety over, under work, overwork. We bury anxiety under addictions. And we can sometimes dismiss what dismiss the spiritual solution. And I get that it's complex, but Jesus says, deal with your anxiety by praying. Running to the throne and to the king and casting your anxieties upon him. I like that phrase. Cast your anxieties. This isn't like I think of just like throwing. There's nothing polite about this. Like this isn't gently coming and lining up your anxieties properly, saying the right, it's cast your anxieties. The two, the two places in scripture that say cast your anxiety, 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you and he will never permit the righteous to be moved. Just, just think about those two phrases. 
Okay, why do we run to God in prayer? Those two verses. Why? 1 Peter 5, 7, he loves you. Why? Psalm 55, 22, because he's powerful. Why do we do this? Why do we go to God in prayer? Because he is strong enough to do something about it, and he is loving enough to want to. That's why. He's strong enough to deal with the situation, and he's loving enough as your father to say, I want to help you with this. And so we run to him in prayer. And so what I do with my anxiety, and I've done this for a long time, I, write a, I have a journal, not a diary. It's a journal. And, I, and, and I've done this for, for, forever. I've got journals and journals and journals. And on the top of my journal, every day I write, Dear God. Not dear, not dear diary or journal. or I, I don't log my day. I write my prayer to God because it helps me. It helps me express myself. I'm not good with my emotions, okay? But it lets me to just write down what is going on. And I, I've recently downloaded an app called the Day One Journal app, and, and it's on my phone. And it's just, it's easy for me to pull it up and to write out at the end of the day, Dear God, Here's what I'm anxious about. This is casting your anxieties on him. You're running to the king, you're running to the kingdom, and you're saying, here it is, God. And as you do that, you're considering. You're considering the raven, you're considering the lily, and God is saying, I have this. Church, may we fight our anxiety, deal with our anxiety the way Jesus has helped us, considering and seeking. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that you love us even though we're nervous wrecks and we're anxious and we're scared and we're overwhelmed and stressed and we're always this way, all the time, from little kids to the end of our life. But God, I pray that our stress and our anxiety won't keep us from being who you made us to be in joyful, loving kids of the Father. And so help us, God, to surrender at your feet, to come to you in the morning, to lay it all down there for you, to use the morning to think and consider who you are for us. And so, God, we ask for your help, and we pray it all in the name of your Son.